Hello. Hello, John. Hi, Dan Benjamin. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? Doing pretty good. Where Can you reveal where you're heading off to? I am uh, leaving this afternoon for Washington, D.C., America's capital. America's, um, let's see, how is it described? The uh, It's Monument City, I guess. Is yeah, the, sure. Yeah, that's right. So, um, what for? What's going on there? Well, it's um, it's just a pleasure trip, actually. Oh, nice. uh, my daughter's mother is in the web security game, oh. and so she has, as web security has become more and more of a uh, cause celeb, she has been going around the world doing web security work. Um, and now she is in Washington, D.C. for a couple of weeks. And so rather than have her separated from our darling daughter for that amount of time, I, uh, I agreed that I would come out to D.C. with the baby for a long, long weekend. Very so nice. So that we can see the sights and go to the pencil monument, as my daughter says. Mm-hmm. And the Natural History Museum and and uh, and all the other hot spots for little kids, and that that way, she and her mom aren't separated for for so long. Yeah, you know, five days is fine. We do that all the time, but and even seven days, but fifteen days is Ugh, that's a long time. It's just too long for a little kid. I mean, I think it's I think it's even harder when they're the age that she's at right now for them, you know, because they understand the concept of time, but time just moves so slowly for them. Yeah. And especially, you know, I think that probably when she's 10, yeah, it'll feel like, Oh, were you gone? Right. (laughs) But, but, uh, yeah, she's in school now and her mom is obviously, very important to her. Oh yeah. And there's nothing keeping there's nothing keeping me from traveling. Sure. So I actually went to the I went to the schools and I said cuz they send they send a lot of paperwork to us to the effect that um absences, truancy, these are things they're very concerned about. And, um, and they, they send these pretty dramatic emails like what? say, well, just, just saying, you know, if you don't, if your kid isn't in school. Oh, right, right, right. To, yeah. The know, excused absence thing. Sure. Right. So I actually went to them, uh, went to the principal and went to, went to her teacher and said, let's, let's talk about this. Can we, I mean, what's the real, what are we really talking about here? And I got a very good response from them both. Um, essentially the principal said, listen, this is, we're talking about a first grader here and we're not worried that she's going to miss five days of school going to Washington DC. That's ridiculous. However, we do have to make a show of it. And make sure that you, you know, I'm, I'm not going to report all the absences, but I do have to report 
some of them because this is all, it's all theater. And I was like, I understand completely. <laughs> Listen, I know all about theater. So agreed. I'll take my child and do what I want. And you do what you need to do and we'll both be fine. And she was like, agreed. So, so things have worked out, I think pretty well. Yeah. It sounds like you were able to make peace with it anyway. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, it could, it could also blow up in my face, but, but I don't think so. I think I have the support of the, of the people that are in charge. Well, and it's a very educational, uh, very educational trip. Well, sure. But, and that's exactly my point. But at the same time, it doesn't matter if you are a stickler for the rules, whether it really doesn't matter to sticklers, you know, my whole life I've been, I've been in contention with sticklers and I've, I've been in, been plenty of situations where a stickler made a stand over something that seemed to me to be a thing that benefited no one. Why does it matter? Right. Taking my kid to Washington DC. Can you really, can you really say that her first grade classwork is, is more important for her to, What could be more important than taking your child to our nation's capital for an educational trip? Well, I think a stickler might say kids would kill for that. A stickler might say that it was more important that you learn attendance. (laughs) So it's not just the attendance that matters. It's also learning that attendance is important. You know, this is the kind, this is the sort of logic I'm, I'm just guessing because I don't run the schools, you know. Anyway, how are you, Dan? I'm all right. My my kid had some kind of uh you know, I don't know if I don't know if it was a flu exactly or what it was. I don't know what, you know, cuz we I don't believe in like there's so many people out there. I'm not criticizing, John. But there are so many people out there that if their kid gets a temperature over 99, they take them to the hospital. And that's fine. I, I'm not, this is not my place to judge what other people do. No, 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 no. If you're going to judge what other people do, it certainly shouldn't be on a podcast. No, definitely not the place uh, for that's crazy. It. crazy. But, but they will take their child to the, I, so we don't, I don't do that. But he had a fever of like between 102 and 103 for a few days. And he was coughing and, you know, seemed like a flu, but he's recovered now. And, you know, I, I couldn't, I couldn't afford to get sick and I'm hopeful, knock on wood, that maybe I got through it. My wife had a cold, my daughter had a cold, my son had this flu thing and I eventually broke down and I, I'm only telling you this because I'm ready to be ridiculed. But I got one of those, you know, surgeon masks. You can get <laughs> it like the Walgreens. <laughs> yeah. It's like a few dollars and it comes, it's like, like a pack of 10. And they, it has a little string that goes over your, a little elastic string that goes over your ears. And then the, the face mask part fits over your, it sort of has a metal uh, strip in it that allows you to mold it to the shape of your nose and then it it just goes over and i would wear that uh in the evenings for a couple nights and i i think it worked yeah well i mean knock on wood i'm not sick everyone else was 
I'm the only one wearing the mask. But I've, I, I retired the mask last night, so maybe it worked. Huh. Well, right on. I'm, uh, I'm glad that everyone... I can't the- afford to get sick right now. I just There's too much happening. I can't do it. I can't do it. What uh, what would happen if you got sick right now, Dan? What well, we would, wouldn't what, be we wouldn't be recording. That's for one thing. Oh, right, because you're uh, you're someone who doesn't work when he's sick. No, I work. I just don't do the voice work stuff. I just can't podcast because I don't. I can't. It sounds too bad. I don't want to make people suffer with that. That's that seems to me to be your work. So that that may be a that may be a situation where we don't. I don't understand all the work that you do then in that I mean, case because I'm podcasting. I don't know maybe a day a week spread out over the whole week, maybe less than that. And the rest of the time I'm writing code and managing servers and doing that kind of crap. Mm -hmm. So when I think of like what I'm doing, like today I will be podcasting with you for approximately an hour and then I will spend an hour or so editing it and publishing it. And that's two hours out of the eight ish hour day. So the other six hours, I'll be writing code and doing support and uh, crap. Dan, <clears throat> tell me more about this writing code that you do. <laughs> are you still... Very, fo- very formal <laughs> question, yes. Well, are you still writing code? Oh, yeah. I spend the, whatever... If, if I'm not recording, I'm writing code, typically. Writing code. Writing code. Writing code like a computer programmer. I am doing computer programming, yes. That's that's you, what I do. You do computer programming. I, I do that, I do that. I thought that you do podcasting, podcast networking. Yes, I mean I I, I do, but all along I, I've always been writing code. I started writing pro I started programming computers when I was ten, eleven years old. Yeah. Uh, I believe I believe this backstory. Yeah, and did, did uh, you get bitten by a spider that computer programmed? No, no, hmm. no. Um, so I've never hmm. really not been doing it. It just depends. It it's varied how much of my time I spent doing it. Like even in the early days of Five by Five, I was still doing a lot of consulting work and writing code for other people. And uh, and and when I shifted to doing Five by Five podcasting stuff full time, I was coding a lot less, but like I still built like five by five is a, an application that I coded from the ground up, both the design and the code behind the scenes. And a few years ago when I started building fireside, the podcast hosting platform, uh, that, you know, that was a probably every day writing code for a year to, to build it and then launched it. And then I still write code to add features and improve it and fix bugs and, and all that nonsense. So there, there doesn't really, I, don't, I would what? say a, a day, maybe on the weekend, but a normal work day doesn't go by where I'm not spending a lot of time, you know, typing it into it. What are some me. of the other, um, what are some of the other things that you write code for? Primarily I'm writing Ruby on rails code for fireside, but you know, because I manage the infrastructure for it too, there's a lot of backend stuff that I'm doing. So I might be writing, you know, varnish VCL configurations. I might, um, you know, I still have to maintain five by five as, as a thing. So whenever there's new 
updates that need to be made or bugs that need to be fixed, I'll do that. But Fireside, I'm always at, always working on new features, always trying to make it better, answering support tickets, which sometimes reveal or expose a, a bug or a missing feature that I'll then need to code. You know, a lot of that. And I'm doing support tickets as well, mixed into that. But that's really, that's my main project these days. I'm not really coding other things. That's that's my primary focus is is doing the podcast that I do here and then making Fireside better. Would you consider that your day job? Uh, kind of a mix, a mixture, a mixture of these two things is my is my day job, and I'm also working on some podcast method videos uh, that like teach people about podcasting and equipment and gear and stuff. And those are, I've got a ways to go before I can release any of that, but that's a, another section of what I do in the day. I don't really mm-hmm. feel like I have, like, I like all of these contribute to what I would think of as a, as a day job. But I think people think of me as like the back in, you know, when I, when five by five was the main thing that I was doing, the only thing that I was doing rather, I was recording like I was recording three, two, three shows a day on a typical day. And I didn't have much time to do anything else because I'm, I'm all also was selling ads and everything else. And now I've got, you know, someone to help me for a while. I've had someone to help me sell ads and that's let me take time away to, uh, you know, to, to do fireside, but I still help with the ad sales once in a while. So I do a lot yeah, of different I, things. I take the trash out. I knew you were doing like, you know, work around the office. Yeah. Like, you know, going Sweeping run into up. the, yeah, run into the, to the office depot to get some highlighters and uh-huh. stuff. Yep. Yep. Um, but I didn't figure that you were sitting and, and being a code monkey. Oh yeah. It seems, seems to me, Dan, that you've, you've sort of, uh, you know, you're the, you're the proprietor. Ha- haven't you? hired an army of 25 year olds to no, do the no hmm. no i mean if we were if we were going you know like gangbusters and then maybe i would be able to afford that but i can't really afford it yet i see i do have people i do have a, a guy that helps with uh with some of the co- some of the features that i can tap him and when he has time after his full-time job to to few hours here a few hours there that's been incredibly helpful and I have a designer who can, whenever there's some kind of CSS bug that I can't fix, he can he can fix it in like five minutes. Mm-hmm. But mostly it's just me doing everything. Yeah, I would say well, I would say six six to eight hours a day I'm writing code or doing server stuff or responding to tickets, running running that business. But I enjoy it, you know, I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And if if it was if it was twice as big as it is now, I probably could afford, and it will be. I mean, it's just a matter of time. Then I could afford to hire someone full time to to do that. But it's, you know, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, but it's fun work. And I enjoy, I enjoy writing code. I enjoy that kind of thing. I enjoy learning. You know, I'm teaching myself a couple new languages and learning go and node and uh, stuff like that. Cause I like that. That's uh, where yeah. my mind has always been. Right. Well, I mean, if you can be learning go and node. Yeah, sure. Of course. Yeah. I- uh, Dan, will you hang on just a second? I have a I have a sidebar conversation to have here with someone in the room with me. Oh, well, it, this is will only take a moment. Yeah, and we would like to thank our first sponsor. It's Eero. I love. I have an Eero, and I love it. 
the Eero makes Wi-Fi much, much better. It makes it faster, more reliable, and you get a better connection in every single room and the backyard too, for that matter. They have come out with a second generation of the Eero, taking the idea of these multiple access points placed throughout your house and improving them. They've made it smarter, they've made it faster, and they've made it even more reliable through dozens of automatic software updates. This next generation is super cool. What they call these uh, little units that you put around your house, they call them beacons. So you build a Wi-Fi system that's more perfectly tailored to your home than ever before. They offer more speed and better range in these same really high-quality, elegant little units. And this is what's really cool about them is not only do they look cool, but like the little beacons that you put around, they have a user-controllable nightlight built into them. So it automatically senses when it's dark and it comes on and it illuminates it. You can put one of these things like in your hall or outside of a room and it automatically lights up. I mean, you can turn that off. But like these little details, they're like, well, why not put a light on it? That's the kind of, that's the way that the Eero works. They're not these clunky, low quality devices that, that are ugly and you don't want to see. These things fit in with the decor of your house and they work really great. They create what, what Eero calls true mesh software and that you use a little Eero app on your smartphone, if you have one, and it allows you to completely map your house and it helps you figure out the best place for you to put these little beacons. It's really, really smart. It's really, really cool. They've got a five, a thir- they have three five gigahertz radios in there, tri-band and twice as fast as the previous version. So you can do more simultaneously in every room of your house. I love this thing. Uh, It's really, really great. And they can pay me to do the read, but they can't pay me to say that I like it. And I love it. I got rid of uh, the previous base station that I was using and switched to this. And it's just been amazing. Uh, Love it. So go check this out. That old model of having one super powerful uh, base station in your house, those days are gone. You need something better. And you need to have access in every room of your house. And that's what you get. And, it, and you can get, if there's ever a problem, you get a hold of their people and they answer within 30 seconds. Like it's amazing, super easy. They've got all the WPA2 encryption, like everything that you want and more. They even have services you can sign up for that'll like give you the protection for your kids so they don't get into all kinds of crazy stuff on the internet. Like it's all there. Free overnight shipping to the US and Canada Eero.com, E-E-R-O, Eero.com. And when you're checking out, select overnight shipping and then enter the code roadwork and that'll be free. So again, get the free overnight shipping US and Canada at Eero, E-E-R-O.com. Use the promo code roadwork. Love those guys. Great product. Go check it out. Sorry about that. No problem. We just have a little uh, set of unusual circumstances here at the house. There are some workmen here. Oh, doing what? Uh, just um, sort of patching it up, patching mm. the place up a little bit. And uh, the workmen are are foreign, uh, foreign agents as far as my daughter is concerned, <laughs> okay, who are kind right. of crawling around the outside of the house. And, and sometimes even they get on the roof of the house mm. and they have tools and they're sort of they're sort of banging stuff. And uh, also, I have, I've, I'm in the process of constructing a new podcast studio in my house, which is more centrally located than uh, than it's been in the past. And so now, 
where formerly I would have sort of been ensconced. Right at the moment, I'm kind of centrally located. I see. Which is also creating a, a new atmosphere here. So we just needed to check in with each other for a second there and, and, uh, and figure, out, figure out what our plan was going forward. Right. And I'm using a new system, and the new system is somewhat confusing to me. So as you and I have been talking, I've been kind of pushing buttons and spinning knobs. You know, it's basically like learning Go and Node At the same simultaneously. Time. Yes. Because of the, these buttons, it's got, it's got six, seven, eight, nine, nine buttons all told. So basically like a, basically like a Go node. Right, a Go node, um, sure. And I'm trying to figure out, because there are things here, there are things that are redlining. And, you know, as a, as a long-time uh, recording person, I don't like to see things redline. Oh, no. But I haven't been able really to zoom in on exactly what these controls are all doing. But I think I may have found, I think I may have found a solution here on okay. the on on the on the master mixer. I think I just found found a solution. All so right. we'll see. Okay. We'll see how Good. It goes. Good. Had some mic pre's that were <clears throat> that were overloading, and and I think I've dialed it in. Let's go with it. Let's okay. go with it as it is. All right. I like this. Um, so yeah, today is, uh, today is a little bit of, we're a little bit in transition today where I'm going to get done with the show. We're going to go to the airport. I'm leaving my house in the care of workmen. Mm -hmm. I say, Viacon Dios, workmen, Mm -hmm. I trust you that I trust that we have communicated with each other clearly enough that when I come back, you will not have, you have will not have built a tower that I didn't approve of. Uh, and hopefully the house won't be painted, you know, like electric pink. Right. Although if that decision was made for me by someone else and I came home to an electric pink house, I might be, I might be thrilled about that, but I'm sure. not going to tell anybody that. No. I'm not going to say that to somebody as I leave. BTW, surprise me. Right. No. No, you've got to no, keep no, no. things under control. You got to—they got to be the way you want them to be. Yeah, my house is currently a bland color, and I'd like to keep it that way. But, uh, but yeah, it—it it definitely makes for some challenges in terms of, well, in contrast to those days when I wake up and I look at my calendar and it's either empty, mm-hmm. or I look at my calendar and it has one thing to do somewhere in the middle of the day. Because I'm pretty good at, at scheduling things for like 1 p.m. That gives you plenty of time on either side mm-hmm. to to float on. Um, but a day like today where it's like, nope, get up and I mean, I haven't, I didn't even do a load of laundry which I need to do before I go. That could I could have the load of laundry rolling right now, but it's not. Instead, well, you're podcasting instead. That's right, I'm podcasting. Well, that's what you got to do. You're doing now, what you must do. Now in my system, I'm hearing this very strange, very, very slow cycling of some kind of compressor or, or mm. no, noise canceling something or other. And it's giving me a very weird, very weird experience in my headphones. But listen, I'm, you know, I don't want to show people how the sausage is made. No. 
I don't want to sit here and talk about the sound quality in my own headphones. Right. You're just not, you're not experiencing this. A you wide, sound great. Oh, that's great. Okay. Wonderful. Then it's something here. It's something locally that is, um, that's creating a very cool, but unusual sort of, um, how would I describe it? Sometimes it feels like, well, yeah, it just feels like somebody is sitting across the room at a 1176 and they're turning <laughs> the, uh, they're turning like the knob that, that you, adjusts. you have a love affair with the, the 1176. It's a wonderful, wonderful box. I think I remember you talking about the fact that the, the only way you like the sound of your voice is if it's through the 1176. I did, I did say that. I thought Dan. you That's, said that. I'll put, a, I'll put a link to it. I don't quite remember everything you say. I'll put right. a link to this into our show notes, the 1176 Peak Limiter. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, this this isn't a box that you would typically sit and like and sweep the sweep the um, the knobs slowly as you're as you're recording. Right. It's not a. It's sort of more of a set it and forget it uh, thing. But but that's what it sounds like now. So I'm having a I'm having a good time here, little by little, learning how to. What changed? What this. changed about your? I know you don't want to talk about it, but now we have to. What changed about your setup? Well, I people didn't want form- to know what mic you use. People yeah. want to know everything, and I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I just now since we're opening up the kimono a bit, John. I record John. Yes, John does not record on his end in what would be called a double ender, where John would record on his end. He would ship me his audio. I would integrate his audio into my setup and. If we did that, John's audio would be amazing as opposed mm. to acceptable. Oh, is that right? You, do, you get, um, do you get people writing in and saying John's, uh, the sound of John's voice is only acceptable in this context? Yes, it's acceptable because the limited dynamic range that we get from Skype and also it is uh, occasionally affected by Skype artifacts, which, uh, you know, crappiness, right. crappiness. Right. Uh, that wouldn't be there if I had your own your own recording. But I feel privileged just to have the time that I have with you each week. So I, I don't even care if you record it or not. And I think people have accepted that this is this is how we get John on a podcast. Uh-huh. It's like a radio. Um, like an like AM radio. radio from the late 70s. Like mm-hmm. when that picture uh-huh. I sent you would have been. Yep. Well, so the... the um, so what's happening, right? And I mentioned this to you via text the other day, but I'm I'm I have started working on a on a, a new podcast with uh, televisions with America's sweetheart televisions Ken Jennings of uh, Jeopardy fame, right? And Ken is just as I have been to Merlin and with you, um, a luddite and someone who does not want any responsibility right. for, uh, for making a show. Ken has even more conviction that he wants nothing to do with the technical aspect of making a show. Even less than you have right now. Even less than I have. And between the two of us, he and I, uh, or rather between the two of us, him and me, mm-hmm. 
uh, I actually do have some technical knowledge from well, my you've years. Spend of, years in recording studios. Recording studios, right? I'm I am not actually that dumb at it. Although that's not my my favorite place in a recording studio is sitting on the couch at the back of the room <laughs> while two other people are hooking cables to things. Sure. And then I say, the rack tom sounds a little chocolatey. Mm. And then everybody nods. And then somebody goes out and moves a mic or, or moves a drum ever so slightly. And then I go, yeah, yeah. And then I go back to reading a magazine and people scurry around. I mean, that's how I prefer to spend time in the studio. For but sure. I do know, I do know how to plug things in. You know, I do know the difference between a quarter inch cable and an XLR, et cetera. Right. So, uh, we're putting this podcast together and what ended up happening was Ken did not want to record remotely. He didn't want to sit in his office and have well, he wants to sit with you in person. Why, why wouldn't he? I like that better. Anytime I can do that. I, I think that's way better. Well, uh, you know, I'm one of these people that thinks that the invention of text messaging is maybe one of the genius things that ever happened in human life because I don't want to talk on the phone. And frankly, I don't want to sit in the same room with someone if I don't have to mm-hmm. because I can text them. I've had, I've carried on entire relationships with people where it was all done via text. I never ever saw them in person. And I just feel like texting is very effective. Because I'm a writer, I I can communicate. Um, I can communicate my own thoughts and feelings pretty pretty closely uh, via word, and I text and I send, and then I receive, and then I read, and I then I reply and send. And so the idea that Ken would sit at his house, which is admittedly just across town, and I would sit here at my house, and we would talk on the microphones with one another, that just seemed perfectly natural to me not sitting across from each other and looking at each other but mm-hmm. ken didn't want that he said i want to sit in the same room with you at a table so we can look at each other and i was like oh all right well that's fine um and so i built this studio in my house where not only is it here but also it's i'm trying to make it a space that that someone else Someone else like America's sweetheart, Ken Jennings, can come sit in here and not feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But right now in the, in this room, there is a drum kit. There, There's the remnant of a velour-covered waterbed. Mm-hmm. There are six amplifiers. There are 11 keyboards. And there are 15 shoeboxes full of patch cables. And then a couple of shoeboxes full of all those weird like HTMI cables and sure, MIDI yeah. cables and stuff that, and on, and Apple products that used to charge something or other <laughs> and wall warts from some right. Blackberry. Right, sure. All that stuff that, you know, I'm, I'm of the opinion that you don't throw that away just in case you find that old Blackberry. And then how do you plug it in? Now I would like to tell you about Brooklinen. Brooklinen. This is the best bedding that I've maybe ever slept on. You know, I heard the Brooklyn and guys, they were going to be a sponsor. I said, okay, you know, I'd like, I'll try this out. And I was blown away. 
Like you didn't, I didn't think I would be blown away by sheets. Like they say, oh, you know, you just have better sheets. It'll, you'll sleep better. I just didn't buy it. I mean, I thought, okay, I'll try it out. But it does matter. You have, there's something about putting fresh sheets on your bed that, you know, like you sleep better. This is another level above that. Because not only are these fresh sheets, but there's something about the way that they're made. And I have here in this read, they talk about how, you know, what, how, what, what's involved and, and how they, they make them. But this is the kind of thing you just need to experience to really appreciate it. And I mean, that, that, sounds, that sounds silly, but you really need to try these out. Like how much of a difference can sheets make? They make a big difference. I think you're really going to like these. There is a special URL you go to, brooklinen, B-R-O-O-K, linen.com. And when you're there, you're going to use the promo code ROADWORK. You'll get $20 off and free shipping. They're so confident that you're going to love these sheets that they offer a free 60-night satisfaction guarantee and lifetime warranty on them for the sheets and the comforters. There's no reason not to give it a try. You get it and you don't like it. You send it back. You got 60 days, 60 nights. But I think you're really going to like these. They got tons of uh, patterns. They got tons of colors. And they're actually the fastest growing bedding brand in the world because more and more people are finding out about them. They've got over 12,000 five-star reviews. They're great sheets and they will improve your enjoyment of the bed. At least they did for me and I think they will for you. So go check it out. Again, Brooklinen, B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N, brooklinen.com, promo code ROADWORK will get you $20 off and free shipping. Thanks very much to Brooklinen. For their support, you got to use my you got to use my system. Oh, and I have follow up on on what we talked about. Like a lot of people contacted me. Mm-hmm. I don't want to derail what you're saying, but you got to use my system for that stuff. You take that stuff, yeah. You put it into the box, yeah. Tape up the box, put the date on it. And, and if you haven't, ocean? if you if you haven't used it in six months, then take it to your favorite hangout spot, the dump, and See, dump it. There are things in my house that I haven't touched in six years, but but what if you decide? But I mean, then, I, okay, I, but that's not technology. Technology is different because if you have if you have your dad's old uh, holster, you know, for his uh, for his thirty eight holster, that holster is still has use in life, and you could use it, or maybe you're keeping it as a keepsake or a memento or a sentimental value. That wall wart that charges a thing that you don't have anymore. In six months, if you haven't used that thing, you're never going to use that thing. Well, but this is the thing, Dan. I do still have the thing that it plugs into. <laughs> it's just that that thing is in a different shoebox. But but if it's so, in a shoebox, you're probably not using it anymore. This this is this is something maybe I can get your advice on. Um, I have recently I recently destroyed another iPhone. Uh, this time. This time, utterly destroyed it. Mm, I, yes, uh, you mentioned that in the last uh, last episode, I believe. Right, and so rather than uh, fix it mm-hmm. again at great expense, I decided I was going to wait until the new iPhone came out because it was only going to be a week or so until the announcement, and then I would get the new iPhone. But then the new iPhone came out, and I felt pretty strongly that. Uh, for all the excitement uh, surrounding the release of the iPhone X, mm-hmm. the iPhone 10, 10 yep. 
I was not actually that excited about it. I was, uh, I felt like in all, in all those situations, underwhelmed, not because it wasn't beautiful and because it didn't do new things like stare at you or whatever the other things it is that it does. Uh-huh. The, screen, the screen goes all the way to the corners. Right. la di da But, um, but the fact of the matter is that I use the iPhone to do <clears throat> a half a dozen tasks and or a dozen tasks and five of those things are the phone is useful and amazing um its ability to to map things and to show you the history of things and connect you to articles that have been written about things on the fly it's amazing um and about five of those things are have increasingly become awful. You know, I used to spend a lot of time on social media and, and, and that whole world is just drying up for me. I kept thinking that I could step back or change my approach or, uh, whatever else. And I'm just realizing that that, that whole idea that I would be out socializing with thousands of people on an hour to hour basis and hearing them socialize with me, right? Um, that has that has colonized my mind to ill effect. And for the fact that I went five years doing it and it was lovely, mm-hmm. does not mean that it's going to ever be lovely again. And then everything else on the phone is just like a just a mind number. Right, all the games, all the other, all the other things, um, like my ability on my phone to connect with the airline and manage my my travel on the phone. Mm-hmm. It's really not as much of a convenience as it seems like it is, and it's not any better than just doing it from your laptop. Really, I mean, the only difference being that if you're standing at the airport and the flight gets canceled, it bings you, but but taken together, all that convenience, all those opportunities for for companies to ping you, it doesn't really add up to a necessity, mm. right? Yes, it's just a it's just a set of things that one by one, every little incremental thing tries to prove it's tries to tries to prove the necessity of the whole like oh you got to have the iPhone how are you going to know where the, what the weather is in St. Louis it's like well that's not really a necessity and so not having that iPhone for a week um while I was waiting for the release it was an inconvenience in that I wasn't able to text people or receive texts mm-hmm. that was very difficult uh one time every day because I had my laptop here and I would wander around and every once in a while I'd look at the laptop and if somebody had sent me a text, I, it, would, it would come in on messenger. But as I was leaving the house, I had to say to the people I was talking to or anybody who might contact me that I cared about, which turns out is a small group. I had to say, well, I'm leaving the house. I'm not going to be on the computer. Here's where I intend to go. Mm-hmm. And I will certainly be at this location by this time. And if you need to communicate something to me, you can call the receptionist at this place and, you know, tell them that I'm stopping by or, you right. know, tell, give them a message for me. 
So once a day. Just like we used to in the old days. Uh Uh-huh. I'll be at this place. Here's the number. Uh, Once a day that it happened that I would be in between appointment A and appointment B. And if, if someone wanted to say like, oh, the, you know, our childcare has fallen through and you need to go to the school or if there was, God forbid, an emergency, mm-hmm. which, which generally there never is, um, there were these moments where I was out of touch. But every other thing that somehow resulted in me staring exclusively at my phone for six hours a day, right. which is how it felt. The and may- maybe it was. And maybe it was. And often it was. Often I would sit down on the couch at 6 p.m., and I would look up and it would be midnight and I would have done nothing but look at the phone that through that whole six hours. So often it was six hours. And, it, and on a day like that, when I started at six and went to 12, it's not like I didn't look at it other times during the day. Every chance I got, every long red light, every time I was sitting in a waiting room or, you know, half the time sitting in a room with somebody. So I put it down and I cannot say that instantly the color of my life flooded back in, but boy, it's not that hard to just not have it. And the disgust that I've felt with myself in interacting with this little device, which when I sat down and, you know, made a list of what it does for me, it doesn't do that much, not enough to absorb my, my full attention for so much of the time. So I I came out the other side of this experiment pretty committed to the idea that I'm going to get a flip phone. Oh, nice. And people will be able to text me and call me. And I think the texting, the texting on a flip phone is not, I don't know how well you remember that, but that is not something that is a fun, well, uh, you know, where you have to hit like to, to type the letter a, you have to hit, you know, once and to get to the letter C, you have to hit the key three times, A, B, C. The thing is that T9, the predictive text system, I got really good at T9. And at one point, I was hired by uh, CMJ, the college music journal, to go to Bonnaroo, the music festival, and write a, you know, write a series of basically do reporting from Bonnaroo and write about the, the shows that I saw for CMJ. And it, and I was good enough at T9 that I could sit from my flip phone and write full reviews of, oh, come on and send them off. And they were published and no one knew that they'd come from a flip. Phone. Unbelievable. And I did that for magnet magazine and I wrote an article that got published in Rolling Stone online, but still Rolling Stone, that I wrote on a on a flip phone with two thumbs, you know, because that's crazy. I, I like to text, and I understood how T nine worked, and it was, you know, it 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 didn't feel like. What like about the, what about taking pictures and stuff? Well, so the come to find out that the best modern flip phones and they still make them um, have good cameras. Mm. Good enough. You know, there's one I think that has six megapixel camera. 
but it seems like three megapixels is plenty for putting stuff up on Instagram. I apply, applaud your decision. I think this is wonderful. But it's going to. You're not. You know, you're not. Here's the thing. You're not going to be really missing out on anything that's important to what is important for human beings in the bigger scope. Like no. if you if, when you're on your deathbed, you're not going to look back and say, man. That second half of 2017 where I just had a flip phone. God, I can't believe it. I can't believe I missed out. Look at all the Instagram posts I missed out on and the the tweets that I missed. Yeah, the tweets. I do miss the tweets. You're already missing the tweets. The the pernicious mentality or the little voice that says, "As as a performer, if I go to release a record or if I'm in some other way, really trying to engage the public's imagination and I'm not on social media. It's, it's going to be either very hard or, or worse sort of disingenuous to reappear on social media after having abandoned it all and be like, Hey everybody, (laughs) I've got a new record coming out. Yeah. Now I'm trying to get every single, I'm trying to, you know, use, use every method I can to get the word out. Mm-hmm. But there are plenty of people doing that. I mean, Jonathan Colton hasn't really participated on Twitter in eight years. Mm-hmm. He's not on there making funny jokes. I mean, I think he does what a lot of people do, which is read the news. Mm-hmm. And then every once in a while, he puts something on that says like pre-orders are available for my new thing. Um, and I'm, I, I may end up, using it that way. I think that's a wonderful way to use it. And I've noticed that as the, the more famous maybe isn't the right word, but the more famous, the the bigger that people get, the less actual interaction they seem to do. And I mean, there are exceptions to that where people get in like Twitter wars with each other and things, but I'm talking about like when, when you're like a superstar Superstars are not like, mm-hmm. oh, hey, Jim, twenty four eighteen. Yeah, I, I, you know, yeah, but superstars are on there, you know, hawking uh, new facial creams and stuff. Right? Like, yes, they are. They sure are. Slipping the word Pepsi Cola into into a normal tweet about their friends. I loved interacting with people on on social media, and I still like, I still like talking to people, being accessible. Right. I mean, there we got a we got an email yesterday from somebody, a listener. Now that you have connected me to the Roadwork email system, I'm getting all these emails from Roadwork listeners now. Mm-hmm. And this person had read an article in the Atlantic about, you know, one of these articles that comes out periodically that says Alcoholics Anonymous is uh, is some kind of cult. And what we need to solve the drug and alcohol problem is to use science. And why does AA, you know, what, why does AA have this abstinence-based program when there, there's all this evidence that if you take someone and give them counseling and use this new medication, it has a better, statistically better result in keeping them from drinking. Right. And you hear this kind of thing all the time. Penn Gillette did some... Mm-hmm. Or 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 um, Penn and Teller both did some screed, internet screed against AA. 
and it's always sort of based on the same misunderstanding, which is that AA isn't even a thing, or I mean, it's not a group that's out proselytizing. It has never once said that it's the only cure for alcoholism. AA isn't responsible for the recovery movement. AA didn't ask to be the system that judges and social workers use. It's not anything to do with AA. AA is just a group of people that are trying not to drink. And all the, all this criticism of it is misapplied, right? Like there are, there are lots and lots of different ways to be heavy drinkers and a lot of people are heavy drinkers their whole lives and never have a problem. They love their kids. They get their job done. Um, and a lot of people are heavy drinkers when they're young and then they just naturally mature out of it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people only drink once a year on New Year's Eve. And and yet a lot of people drink once a year and each time they drink, they black out and, are, and three days later wake up in Las Vegas. The, the point is that there is no scientific cure for alcoholism and, um, and, uh, and if there, if there were one, if you could take a pill and go to two counseling sessions and be cured of, of being a chronic alcoholic, like I would rejoice and everyone in AA would rejoice, but it isn't. It isn't that. And so this, there's this article in the Atlantic right now where this, this young writer takes this same exact tone that every one of these articles has, which is like, why do we believe in this cult? And it's like, well, because you're not a chronic alcoholic who's tried everything. And that's all that AA is for. It's, hmm. the, it's, it's the only point of it is if you are a chronic alcoholic who has tried everything and wants desperately to stop but can't, and you have tried every pill and every counseling and you have lost your friends and family. There is this thing to try, which is Alcoholics Anonymous. Nobody wants to be there. My God, nobody likes it. You don't join it for the friendship right. or the, you don't join it because you lack ritual in your life. Like you join it because it's your last resort. And those last resort drunks are the ones that we're talking about. We're not talking about somebody that has some trouble with alcohol. Like those, I mean, everybody's on a different path anyway. So this, this person writes me and there are lots of other things I should be doing. But in fact, what I did yesterday was write two very long replies to him. And he wasn't, he wasn't saying, what do you say about this? Mr. He was just saying, what are your thoughts on this? Right. I I think that went to both of us, if I remember right. Yeah. Yeah. He was just curious. He just wanted to hear my take. And so I probably gave him more of a take than he was looking for. But actually, one of the the long responses to him, I read it again, and then I cleaned cleaned it up and sent it to the Atlantic. (laughs) I was like, dear, dear editors. Um, And, you know, they surely won't publish it because I went, I went. I took the long road. I didn't do a concise like, dear sirs and madams, um, here are two two concise paragraphs. Thank you for your time. I I gave them like eleven paragraphs where I where I was saying, where I was talking about you know uh, purple dinosaurs. But 
but I like that. I like that people can reach out to me and ask questions. I like that they can communicate with me. And it's one of the things I loved about Twitter. I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, I did it there and only reply to verified users. How boring. And so I guess I hope that people will still email me about their things. Of course they will. Um, even if I'm not on Instagram because it, Instagram was super fun until it just sort of feels like it, it too is becoming a, a place where people are ranting and I'm just caught in this cycle of, of following a hundred people and same people comment on my pictures every day. And it's like, why am I, I've, you know, I, I, I've given three or four hours a day of my life to this interaction, which is producing what in me, like a, it's like a slow drip of, of serotonin or something <laughs> like I can get that other places. So I, two years ago, if you had said, oh yeah, two years from now, you're going to have a flip phone. I think I would have rolled my eyes and said like a hipster. Right. But it really does it does start to feel like a mental health issue and looking at that iPhone 10 and realizing that for all that extra flibbity jibbity that's on it and for the $1,500 it would cost really it's just a portal to social media and whatever the other functionality, whatever the super users of iPhones are doing um, with 10,000 apps like they live different lives than I do. They're super users because they are, you know, they're, uh, they're programming in, in nod and, and Don or whatever the uh, fuck you said. Uh, <laughs> egg and, and octopus. Right. Or they are, you know, they're, <clears throat> I suppose if I, if I was someone that managed my points mm -hmm. all the time, I, I encounter in the world the suggestion that if I just managed my points, uh, that I would live in in a, a land of where there were chocolate fountains and people threw gold coins at me. If I just <laughs> if I just managed my Starwood points uh -huh. and my American Express points and my Delta points, this might be that, true. Then I would be getting free shit right and left, Dan. Everywhere I went, there would be somebody in a pillbox hat hold, handing, him, handing me a pillow. It'd be Sting from Quadrophenia carrying my bags up the stairs everywhere I went if I just managed my points. And maybe if I was somebody that managed my points, having an iPhone 10 would, be, would enable me to do that better. Although, whew, uh, I can't think of a worse prison to be in than managing your points. Our last sponsor today is Away. John and I have talked about the Away carry-on and suitcase before, and they're awesome. We love having them as a sponsor because this is a product that me and John both use. I absolutely love the Away carry-on. I'm one of, you know, you've heard me talk before about my sort of minimalistic approach. I, I don't like to bring some big bag with me. Now, they make, they make a, bigger, a bigger suitcase. They call that the large, but the standard one is the carry-on. And so because I always try and travel light, I've tried every single carry-on out there. I've read all the reviews. I've spent way too much time researching carry-on bags because I always want the perfect one. And what makes a perfect one? Well, you, you want it 
to be made from polycarbonate because this is something that's going to be really strong and really impact resistant, but super lightweight. And that's, again, that's what the, the Away carry-ons and all their suitcases are made out of. They're made out of German polycarbonate. You also want a 360 degree spinner wheel. You want four of those. And the reason why is you can still tilt this thing back and pull it behind you when you're walking. But if you're sitting there, you're stopped, you're waiting in line, you're waiting for at the, the ticket counter, wherever, you want to be able to just inch this thing along next to you. You don't want to be that person who has to drag it behind you. The four-wheel spinner means you can hold this thing upright and just gently, you're just using your fingers, just slide this thing along with you. It's amazing. And my kid has used this. Nine-year-old kid has used this suitcase this carry-on, and it's super easy for him to move around because it's lightweight and because it's got the four wheels. TSA-approved combination lock built-in. You don't need to worry about your own lock. And inside, it has a built-in washable laundry bag. So when you got your dirty clothes, you put them in there, keeps them separate from the clean stuff. Genius. Both sizes of the carry-on, you can charge cell phones, tablets, e-readers, anything else that's powered by a USB cord because it's got this built-in battery charger. So you just plug in your stuff and charge it. You can do this while you're sitting there at the airport and everyone else is like fighting over the one outlet in the, in the waiting area. You don't have to worry about it. You just plug into your own thing. And one charge of the Away carry-on will charge your iPhone five times. It's got a lifetime warranty. And best of all, a 100-day free trial. You can, they want you to use it. They want you to travel with it. They want you to see what it's like because after 100 days, they will still take it back in that 100 days if you don't like it. But I think you're going to like it. I love mine. After I used it on the first trip, I laughed about the 100-day trial. I'm like, there's no way I'm parting with this thing. I love it. Free shipping on any way order within the lower 48 states. Carry-on sizes are compliant with all the major U.S. airlines. And uh, they even have a store, a retail store in New York City. So if you're in town, you can go check it out. $20 off a suitcase. If you go to our special URL, awaytravel.com, awaytravel.com slash roadwork and use the promo code roadwork during checkout and you'll save $20 off. Thanks very much to Away. You have really struck onto something here. And I'll tell you what I kind of what I'm hearing, what I think is that people of our, our, our generation, people who are now in their maybe late thirties, but certainly in their forties, maybe early fifties. We grew up without all of this stuff. Like I've been using a computer, like I said earlier, since I was 10 or 11, we didn't own one, but I started using one at that point and owned one. I got one uh, with my bar mitzvah money when I turned 13 you got a what with your bar mitzvah money? A computer, TRS-80 color computer. Oh, wow. You got a TRS-80. I'm trying to remember the order. I'm pretty sure I got a VIC-20 first and then a Commodore and then a TRS. Anyway, I had so you one. Had a, you had a cassette drive. Oh, yeah. Yeah, eventually. we. That was later. Very cool. Uh, but I had all that stuff. And so I grew up with a computer. You know, most of my, the years of my life that I remember we, we had a computer and obviously still have one, but we've only had phones the way that you and I are, are talking about smartphones today since most people would say 2007 when the iPhone came out or later. Right. I didn't get mine until 2011 probably. Okay. Yeah. So four years after it came out, you finally got one. 
And we have seen the world and lived as adults for many, many years in the world before a smartphone existed. Well, I was 30. Yeah. Before a, before I had a phone. I mean, any, I guess I was any, any cell phone at all. I was 32 before I had a cell phone. You know, when I walked across Europe, uh, from Amsterdam to Istanbul, mm-hmm. which I've talked about before mm-hmm. in 1999, I was 31 years old. No, no, no. I started, I was 30 when I started. And on that trip, I took no electrical device, no phone. Obviously I didn't own a phone. But no camera, not even a camera, not even like a 35 millimeter disposable camera. I had no technology at all. I had a journal. I had a compass, which I guess is a technology, although it's a 4,000 year old. (laughs) Right. Um, I suppose, you know, I suppose a stylus and some papyrus is also a technology. Sure. Which is basically what I had. But I was not. I did not document my six months of walking in any way other than by writing in a book. And I think for a lot of people now, the idea that I don't have a single picture, except sometimes I would go into a train station and get into a photo booth and take a strip of four pictures of myself sitting in in some train station in Hungary. So I have whatever, a half a dozen photo strips of uh, basically of, uh, I was taking those pictures cause I was like, I wonder what my mustache looks like now. It's kind of getting in my food. Maybe I should, and I would pull in and I'd take a picture and I'd be like, Oh, right, right, right. Okay. I need to, I need to figure out, <laughs> I need to figure out something else to do with my mustache. Right. That's, there's too much mustache now. Um, but that to me doesn't feel that long ago. Right. But of course it was, 17, 18 years ago. Right. But I was a full grown man. I was 30 years old, you know, uh, and had, and didn't not only like, as far as I was concerned, a disposable camera would have just been a, a bummer, a distraction. I would have been pulling over all the time, taking pictures of these vistas. Uh, and then I would have had to figure out a way to mail them home or get them developed. Uh, why bother? So it was 10 years later that I was on tour and our drummer had an, got an iPhone for the first time. And he was a guy that had two Blackberries. In 2006, 2007, he, he had up until that point been carrying two Blackberries, a personal one and a work one. And then the iPhone came out and he got one and he had it on tour. And so we all looked at it. And that was, I think, right when the i uh, iPod, mm-hmm. the, I, the iPod that had the screen, the video screen, sure. you could watch TV on it. Right. Uh, we were given those as a gift by the band Keen. We were on tour with them, and they they came into our dressing room one night. And they were like, "We got you guys presents," and they gave us all these brand new iPods. And the other guys somehow. Eric Corson, our bass player, suddenly had lost the TV show. He had it on there. I don't know how he got it there. He downloaded it. Mm-hmm. But mine, I just looked at. I looked at it. I put it back in the box. I thought it was valuable. It seemed very valuable. I treated it 
very gently because it seemed like an object that had that was like made of money but I never I never used it and when I got home I gave it to my mom and she filled it up with music and it was like until the iPod Nano came out that was her main rig but since the Nano came out she has had probably six Nanos she really believes in them she keeps them in her bra but uh, that's that's neither here nor there. I'm giving you my my long, boring technology story. But you were saying that you and I were adults pre all this stuff. Right. And that affects how we feel about living post all this stuff? Yeah, because when you know, we spent a, a long enough time of our lives without this stuff. So when it came out, we're like, okay, this is kind of cool. This is really convenient. I, I like this. But at the same time, I think we have a different perspective than people who came into their awareness with these things already present. My, our kids are good examples of that. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, my kids grew up in a world where everyone had a cell phone, everyone has an iPad, everyone has a computer. We grew up in a world where that thing didn't really exist. And I think I got my first cell phone in my mid-20s, early mid-20s. And it w- those things were for emergencies only, really. You know, the, the cost was so high to have one and let alone to actually use it that, you know, you might have 10 minutes and you go over 10 minutes, you're paying through the nose for it. Right. But I certainly remember adult life before the smartphone. But I think there are a lot of people who are younger who are like, I couldn't exist without the smartphone. All of my friends are via text, like you were saying before, but that's all of their friends. Everything happens for them in Snapchat. Everything happens for them in text. Everything is about what the smartphone brings to them to the point that Apple has now made a watch that makes it so that if God forbid, God forbid, you might be away from your iPhone. Oh my God, don't worry. You, you can make calls on your watch now because we understand the pain of being away from your phone for more than an hour while you're at the gym or even worse at the beach or even worse paddleboarding on a lake. How horrible would it be to paddleboard on a lake without cellular connectivity and the ability to communicate with people and receive calls. You cannot dare enjoy nature or look at a human being's face or, uh, you know, go into the water without being strapped to this kind of technology. I'm not talking about knowing what time it is. I'm talking about making calls. Don't think about walking down a city street with your eyes forward. You've got to be able to make that call or get that call or see that text or be reminded to stand up. Well, this is, Dan, I really feel like this is a, um, this is a, obviously, obviously I agree with you. I share that suspicion about people that have grown up with technology that they can't live without it. But I really wonder if it's true. Like, one of the interesting things about Snapchat to me was the idea that up until that point we'd been we had 
been living in a world where the preservation of our emails and texts and photographs, it was a foregone conclusion that we wanted those things preserved and archived. Mm-hmm. And so much of the work that we did was to save, 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 save. We wanted more memory, bigger memory, because we wanted to keep all this stuff. Every single outtake photograph we wanted stored somewhere. And Snapchat was a revelation to me that um, for a generation growing up within technology that had had every single moment of their lives recorded and posted and stored, they were looking for a way to interact with each other and with their phones where things weren't stored. And, And that seemed crazy to me. Trying to figure out what the appeal of Snapchat was, it just seemed crazy that you would voluntarily take this amazing content that you were creating and just throw it to the wind, never see it again. And, and so it changed how I felt about the millennial generation's relationship to technology enough that I wonder whether they also don't seek relief, even if they've never experienced another way, Um, And I think it may be more difficult for them because there is such a, such a cultural like patrimony of carrying this stuff around all the time. The idea of living without it seems probably even more monastic to them than it does to me, but they seem willing to try other things. And I can't believe that, this only this desire to be free of this this uh, you know wrath of Khan style like ear insect that is my relationship to this thing. Right. I, I I can't believe that that wouldn't appeal to people of all ages, even if they even if they'd never been untethered. The desire to just put it down. I mean, you have to fight your mind for a while. You have to sit there. And realize that you would normally be fidgeting with your your thing. You would normally be getting that serotonin drip, right? And now you're not. And so, what do you do? What do you do with your hands? Right. What are you yeah. supposed to do? And it's the, but it's exactly the same thing that happens when you quit smoking. You know, it used to be you'd pull up to a stoplight, and in that time that you were waiting for the light to change, you'd pull out a cigarette, light it, <laughs> right. Uh, my dad said that every time the phone rang, he lit a cigarette. And a lot of times he would look down and see a cigarette burning in the ashtray that he'd only lit a moment prior. But when the phone rang, he just reached in and got a cigarette. And then he's like, oh, shit, I have two cigarettes lit now. Uh, because it was a reflex. And so just like quitting smoking or like anything, you have to rewire yourself rewire your reflexes to to do another thing but but honestly like to to evaluate what what that thing is actually doing for you how much it's actually helping versus the amount of time that you're spending at it it seems like it's just a like a um you know of of value to cost equation like all you have to do is say, if my if my time is worth X, at, like 
across the board, whatever this thing is doing for me in all of its many functions, how much time am I devoting to it? And if I'm devoting that much time to a thing, it should truly be revolutionizing my experience of life. And, and I, I think you're right. I have, I have years and years of understanding like, kind of what to expect from life and, right. and knowing that your experience of life is there isn't some secret to, to blowing the roof off the thing and all of a sudden life is in technicolor and all you needed to do is find the right app or find the right style of Buddhism or whatever. Like right. life is, life is a, is a cold slog for everybody. But, uh, but even if I spend those six hours just staring at the wall, in the end, it seems to me at least more productive uh, to have that time back because by comparison, sitting and playing a game or, or refreshing Instagram over and over or fighting with somebody on Twitter about a thing that we where that person and I share 99% of our belief structure uh, and, and have found a way to fight over 1% of it. Like, uh, and yeah, none of that is better than staring out the window. 